And now, Rad TV continues. Welcome to the inaugural episode of Tech to You Tuesdays. I'm Rob. That's Ian. Hi, Ian. What's up? Uh, so I got uh, I got this uh, this first email that I picked because it just came in because it's a, the perfect kind of lead into Tech to You Tuesday because this is a meshing of Rad TV, Tech to You, our partnership, uh, and then we're going to talk about what you're actually going to be doing when I'm not here to screw things up for you. Uh, Allison yeah. wrote in and said, "Hey, Ian, I know you have so much to do with the members' website, so she's talking about the Rad Radio's membership site." And therefore, I have a question about the pigskin picks names, where the members can the, can play along with the NFL picks, winners, losers, no point spreads. She says, why does it have the name that I picked? Because they all need a name, mm-hmm. right? And then a number. What does the number represent? I'm a numbers girl, and I have to know. <laughs> Well, <laughs> uh, it's it's it's. Uh, I won't reveal everything, but it's a unique identifier about who you are, and that's as much as I can really say about it. Um, we we added that because when the the first time that we we did it, like that very first week, uh, there was a few people who just chose the exact same name, and we didn't want to prevent people from picking certain names, and so. You can have a unique identifier if there wants to be two 49er fangirls, you know, then that's fine. We'll know which one you are. And the the number that you're talking about, it's randomly chosen, right? It doesn't mean anything about them. It means something to you about them. Yes, it means something to me about them. So uh, what we're doing here with uh, Tech to You Tuesday is next week it'll be nothing like this. This is just the we thought to kick it off that you and I would do what we've done so many times on the regular show. But you're going to be taking the helm next week. And uh, can you give us a quick idea? You've been working your butt off. I know that Brandon is super (laughs) impressed uh, with what you've come up. And I think the last time I talked to you, you thought, yeah, I think I'm going to have somebody on with me most weeks. But what can people expect moving forward beyond what you and I are going to do today? Yeah. So uh, thankfully, uh, one of the things that Brandon and I worked on together too was was uh, just show structure. He he had uh, some good feedback for me just because of having to run bad radio for a little while. You know the the differences that you have to deal with kind of running your own show, and um, it's gone under a few different revisions since I started it. But the basics are: uh, it'll be a show where we talk about uh, all things tech. We've talked about that a little bit already. Um, previewed some of the topics that we'll go over regularly. Things like. Um, Tech in the news, new virus threats, new scams, AI, uh, new technology. Some of the things we haven't talked a lot about are like new gadgets, for example. So, like the you know, you guys briefly touched on like the iPhone that came out. Um, we're we're in kind of the best time of year too for the launch of of uh, Tech to You Tuesdays because there's a lot of new gadgets come out before the holidays. So as people have questions about technology in their homes or gifts that they might want to give. Those are questions I'm really looking forward to answering because if there's anything that my expertise really lies in daily now, it's it's that. It's um, new technology that's emerging and and its usefulness inside the home and businesses. Um, and then, yeah, we'll have some segments. You know, there'll be some different segments that we, we go over. Um, we'll be talking about uh, highlighting different applications that are popular, things that people can use that are easy, things that are beneficial uh, that people might not know about. I can't tell you how many calls we get on a daily basis of people's saying like, I wish there was an easier way to access my email without having to open a web browser. And it's like, how have you not heard of Outlook? How do you not know this exists? And just stuff like that. And ideally, what we do is a lot of Q&A. So a lot of answering the questions that the audience has, I, I can't wait to get them involved in this process too. Well, and that kind of it brings me to my next question is how far, because some of these questions that have been emailed in, I, I, I was joking, getting ready for this. I don't understand them. So how, but you also bring up, there's plenty of people that are like, 
what is Outlook and why can't you yeah. make my life easier? So how far into the tech are you going to get versus how relatable and, and understandable are you going to stay or is it going to be a mishmash? Yeah, it's gonna. I'm gonna. Uh, I'll have a flow of uh, comfortable and uh, things that everybody can understand, and then I'll have little little segments here that get deeper, uh, a deeper dive into some of the more technical things. Like some of the questions that we're gonna go over today are things that probably 95% of the audience won't understand. So I'll I'll, I'll keep those quick, um, and and the people who know. We'll get what they're looking for out of it. Um, and I'll do the best I can to make those things relatable. And sort of if I find the opportunity to have something that is really technical in nature, um, if, if I find a way to make that relatable to everybody, I will. And and especially if it's something that can be beneficial to other people. Um, there's a question we're going to go over today that's very technical, and I, I want to make that relatable to other people. So you mentioned, you mentioned the iPhone, which uh, I just happened mm -hmm. yesterday to see a report uh, that one, on one hand – Shocked me. On the other hand, it didn't. When you consider the economy, the time of the year, uh, with with back to school and people are still recovering from summer vacations and inflation and everything, but uh, Apple is reporting not officially, but like you know, in the financial world, they're saying buy Apple stocks because the iPhone orders are through the roof. They are outpacing yeah. what they expect, and I I see that go. Wow, we're spending hundreds if not over a thousand dollars on the the next greatest phone thing in a time where we can't believe how much we're paying for to, to to fill up our gas tank is is this new batch of apple products that impressive to to a guy like you <laughs> no no i think this is a um this is a a wonderful example of american consumerism at its best, you know, uh, this is a uh, an emotional decision to buy these phones for many of the people that are upgrading. I would say that on the surface, if you're using something like an iPhone 11, going to an iPhone 15 is a great upgrade. You get a lot of benefits from it. There's a lot of technology that has adapted over the multiple generations that would make this a worthwhile upgrade. And chances are, if you still are using something like an iPhone 11 or even 12, You've probably had enough battery degradation, just meaning that it's not charging the way that it did before. It's not lasting all day to justify an upgrade or at least a battery replacement. And if you're kind of weighing those options, an iPhone 15 is probably a good choice. It was a little bit of a surprise to me, too, to see how how popular it was, uh, primarily because the reporting was so bad against Apple on on the on it just lazy, um, you know, uh, innovation, like adding a USB-C port, which is the same thing that Android has had for years. And they really should have done years ago um, having an action button instead of a mute switch these are little things really um but you know technologically there are advances the processor is a little bit faster than last year's but it's really when you start to look at yearly innovation and you go back two three years that we start to really see okay this makes sense for a lot of people and yeah economically i'm surprised that we're seeing eleven hundred dollar orders but the thing that we're not seeing clearly reported is What's the difference between the orders that are happening directly through Apple where people are paying $1,000, $1,100, $1,300 for these phones, or they're going to AT&T and Verizon and they're adding 30 bucks to their bill, or they're doing a trade-in and they're only adding maybe $15 to their bill, but they're expanding that over a couple of years. The nice thing is for the most part, these are zero interest. So if you know you're going to stick with your carrier, it's a good option to upgrade. But again, it really does. It's an emotional decision in most people's minds. Do I need to actually upgrade from a 14 to a 15? Definitely not.
The trade-in, by the way, is my favorite. I love being told we're yeah. going to give you $800 for this phone that I've had for two years. I'm like, what? That is fantastic. Great. Yeah. I, I know. So great. By the way, where are you? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm in my office. Um, in fact, uh, so when when we get started on the regular show, uh, one of the things that I'm I'm I know it's going to happen at some point is I get a little sign on the door and uh, and 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 what's going to happen is at some point somebody's going to forget or they're going to just come in and there's going to be something and you're going to get to see how I work, too. <laughs> so uh, we had we had debated a little bit on where I was going to do this. Um, one of the questions was going to be, do we create a dedicated office for this show, do we use Fire Up and broadcast from there? There might be some different things that we that we already have a room set up at, at Fire Up for broadcasting. But my office is a unique thing for a few reasons. One, uh, it's where I work every day, and this is really where I'm most comfortable. This is my home away from home. I'm here eight, ten hours a day on an average day, and and I'm really comfortable here in this environment with my setup. And I think that'll translate well to the audience too, is as I'm answering questions, you get a little bit more of a relaxed to me as much as I've been on the air a lot and I've become more comfortable. There's still nerves about being in the studio, you know, and, and being on air and it's, you got everything that you have is so well set up. I've learned a lot about audio equipment in the last <laughs> week. And, uh, and, and so I, I think that just being in this place creates a, a different type of show than what I could have done if we had set up a unique studio just for this function. It's a little bit more raw, a little bit more real. You get you get a better exposure to um, not only how I feel about things, but the guests that I will have regularly, probably every week. I'm still working that out, but most likely we will have a guest, which is going to be somebody who works in tech to you or at Fire Up or at Circles uh, in most cases that will have um, contributions to technical topics. Uh, in some cases, uh, they know way more than I do about their technical arena that they that they work in. Um, other times, it will be I just I just need another opinion on some of the things that we're talking about. And um, just like the iPhone thing, everybody's got kind of an opinion on iPhone, Android, whatever it is. So yeah, I'll have somebody with me that'll also help me do you know a little behind the scenes what you do. Don will talk <laughs> a lot. And that gives you time to do what you need to do to make show, sure the show keeps running. So there's that aspect too, which is just being able to read listener emails and, and continue on with the show. By the way, you said the S word. And so I think we have to at least get get that elephant out of the room that sure. we, we do have a very major, exciting update on Circles with an S. It, and, and I know that a lot of people are tired of hearing coming soon. But, uh, yeah. I mean, we spent, what, almost three hours in a meeting last week. We're both on the board of directors. Yeah. And it is... It is an exciting time to be involved with Circles, and we promise we have something so huge to announce yes. and share, just not today. Does that cover it, yeah. right? I mean, that's perfect. Okay. Uh, by the way, speaking of the things that, that I have to do while you're talking or Dawn's talking, one of them that we were talking about as you were getting ready to do this is emails come in because you can email us uh, live, uh, rad yep. at radradio.com. So we were just talking about the iPhone. So Robert uh, immediately emailed and said, so is he saying I should jump from my 11 Pro Max to the 15, or should I get the 14, which is, I hear, pretty much the same? Yeah, you know, um, if you're on an 11 Pro Max, so first off, you're on the larger, physical, physically larger device. Um, you're used to some of the Pro features, but Pro features from a phone four years ago are not necessarily Pro features now. What I would say is it really all comes down to what your budget is. You know, if if you can easily add and your uh, this 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 uh, new phone into your plan, and you can upgrade and pay a small dollar amount, and the financial um, burden isn't much on you, then I would say go with the 15 Pro. 
Max, and again, weighing your interests too. The the camera that's on the new phone on the especially the Pro Max, they've got this um, telephoto lens. I mean, it's like a DSLR, like a really high end digital camera. Um, it has this basically like a bunch of mirrors that create a fake distance between the lens and the receiving image sensor. And it, they basically use this little bit of mirror bouncing to create more distance, which is a good thing if you want to telephoto zoom. So it's got a optical, which means it's not like a digital crop enhance. You know, it's it's like an actual raw five times zoom built into the phone. So if you zoom in even further to like, let's say 10X, you're getting these really crisp photos. So again, it really comes down to your interests. If you're really into photography, the newer phones are, are, are a great option there. Battery life on the Pro is typically going to be a little bit better, especially on the larger models. They have a larger battery. Um, if you like the newest, greatest thing, it's a great upgrade. Um, I would say it really does depend on your individual use case though. Staying with the relatable before we get back to the super techie, you and I were just talking recently and I had no idea that because um, every so many of us are streaming now. I mean, and I think I have every streaming platform there is, but I don't spend a lot of time streaming live TV. And you and I were going back and forth because you were explaining to me there is a difference and that a lot of these smart TVs aren't necessarily built to maintain or manage. I'm going to let you explain it. Uh, yeah. What's needed. And, and you have a couple of quick hacks for people that are like watching YouTube live mm -hmm. or something live that, that and they're getting the buffering thing and all that. Yeah, now that this year the NFL has got given the Sunday ticket to YouTube, um, that's a big deal. That was a huge change. And uh, so YouTube TV Live, you know, just being able to have all of these NFL channels running through YouTube TV, the biggest difference there, I think, this year for most people is that they're going to be using YouTube, specifically a streaming service that runs through an internet connection to watch their football. And that's a big deal because if you stream Netflix or you stream Hulu, those are services that rely heavily on what we call buffering. So what that means is I want to watch this movie on Netflix and for the first, let's say five, maybe 10 seconds after you've pressed play, it's not playing yet because what it's doing is sort of buffering up a little bit of time in that in the beginning of the movie and it's pulling it down onto your computer or your phone. That way, if your internet has a hiccup, you don't see it. It, it. There's this little bit of a delay that happens constantly with with especially residential internet connections uh, where buffering kind of makes up for it. So you get a little delay and then the buffer picks back up again and adds a little bit more. So then that way you're watching this movie on Netflix and it's seamless. It works perfect. But if you're watching something live, there technically is buffering, but there's a lot less of it. So if you have an internet connection that's not quite as reliable or inconsistencies in wireless, you're going to see a lot of pausing. And I think this is going to be a huge point of frustration for a lot of NFL fans this year, people who are buying Sunday tickets and watching, you know, a full day's worth of games on Sunday. If they've got, you know, a basic DSL connection, a really cheap cable connection. They're using wireless without great technology in their home. They have a TV which connects wirelessly to their already mediocre wireless router. You're really going to feel the pain. And it's going to be things like, you know, every two minutes, right when they're in the red zone, of pause. Course. And then it's going to come back live and, and and they miss the touchdown and you don't know how, you know, and it's that kind of thing that I think is going to irk a lot of people. So 
it really, I mean, this is really where a company like us can help in so many ways with A, just identifying where the problem is coming from, but B, you know, really it's, it's time that people who are using the cheap devices really start to think about getting something better. And the good news is you don't even have to pay a company like us to do those things. A lot of times it, it just comes down to how things are set up in your home that you can change for free. That would really help a lot. So yeah, like you, you mentioned a tip, one of the things that uh, we were talking about, which which can help in some cases, is if you're watching something like a YouTube live stream, you know, maybe you're watching something on Discovery Channel live on YouTube TV, pause it. Just pause it for 10 seconds, maybe, maybe 30 seconds, and then hit play. And what happens is because this is something that you don't necessarily care about getting exactly to the second there's going to be increased buffer, just like you're watching something on Netflix or on Hulu or anything else, give you a little bit of leeway there to pause the show and not have as many you know glitches as you're going. Um, we got an email just right now from Jeff that says, I have a Google Nest that won't connect to Wi-Fi. I've reset it to factory specs and verified the correct Wi-Fi name and password is being used. It still won't connect. Is it time for a new one? It could be. Um, so Google Nest is an, an array of products. They make um, Google Nest home hubs. They make cameras. They make doorbells. Um, and that array of products has generations. Previously, it was just Nest. They were their own company. They got bought by Google. Uh, when they did that, Google changed a lot of their technology. Uh, so it depends on the version that you've got, too. Um, uh, unfortunately, one of the things that's not quite so consumer friendly, and, and some people have heard this, is your wireless router will broadcast generally on one of two frequencies, 2.4 gigahertz and 5 gigahertz. And already I've lost a bunch of people. <laughs> you know, gigahertz, what does that mean? Eh, kind of all you really need to know there is the older one is 2.4, kind of the newer one is 5. Uh, the newer one is faster, but doesn't quite go as far. Think AM and FM radio. It's kind of like that. So new one, a little faster, but doesn't go great through walls. You know, doesn't necessarily hit your neighbor's house. Not going to go all the way to the front yard. The older one, not as fast, but it'll go through walls really well. It travels a little bit further distances. So because of that, companies that make these products, a lot of times they lock them to the older technology simply because it has the capacity to go longer distances. They don't want customers calling in with complaints because it doesn't work. And that's just because it's on a five gigahertz faster network, but your own setup in your house is kind of limited. So to the to the writer's uh, question, um, it could be time to upgrade the device. It might have some problems itself, but it could be time to just upgrade your wireless connection. One of the consideration there too, and this will come up a lot as we talk about home networking technology through the show, is if you're in an apartment complex, especially, but even if you're in a densely uh, packed suburban neighborhood, you're now competing for wireless space with your neighbors. Now, in apartment complexes, this is really a troubling issue. Um, you know, you got people stacked quite literally on top of each other, all broadcasting on the same frequency. Many times there's channels in those frequencies. They're broadcasting on the same channel in the same frequency. So there's, there's interference that causes drops. So you kind of got to figure out, all right, what's the best channel? Thankfully, newer hardware, like if you were to just go to the store today and pick up a new router, 
a lot of it is capable of self-identifying like, okay, there's 10 networks nearby. These are the strongest three and they're on these channels. So I'm going to automatically choose this different channel. So a lot of the newer technology is better at solving these problems for you automatically. Um, and, and that again, kind of goes to the writer's question too, is, is it time to upgrade? Well, if you've got a router or the device from your internet service provider, and it's more than let's just say seven years old. Yeah, it's it's probably time. We're relying a lot more on a good, solid internet connection now. Uh, we got this email uh, earlier. I promoted it on, the, uh, on the, the live show, but we should point out when, when, you're, when you take over next week and it's just you, people can still email the same email address with questions, correct? Yes. Yeah. So today I don't have it up. I'm letting you, uh, you're doing the interviews and, uh, but ne yeah, next week email rid at radradio.com. I will have it up on my screen and I'm not going to have the paper. Unfortunately, <laughs> I don't have the printer in the office, but I'll be able to, you know, watch, uh, live, uh, as, uh, as they come in and, and address all of the emails. Uh, so, uh, Homer wrote in, and, uh, this is one of those gobbledygook things to a guy like me it says, good morning, Ian. Congratulations on the new show. I'm interested to hear your thoughts on Intel's progress, especially Meteor Lake, Air Lake and their overall ambitious five nodes in four years plan. Is there anything you are excited to hear about from them today at their annual innovation event? I'm always loving getting uh, your enlightenment and your insights on technology. Wow, that is uh, okay. There's there's in depth questions, and then there's <laughs> then there's really in depth. So now this feel, is a guy. I shouldn't feel bad for not knowing anything this guy's talking about. No, no, okay. no, no. So like Arrow Lake, for example, is the code name used for an Intel processor that doesn't even have any public information out of it really about it yet. The, the, I'll keep this one brief, but in short, I'm very excited about the concept of a two nanometer chip. I think that if that is a reality and that the rumors are true, um, that it opens up a lot of doors. I think that um, technology could be changing very rapidly if Intel's innovation is what has been leaked to be happening, especially again with a, a two nanometer chip. So to make that a little bit more relatable, uh, there was a time where everybody saw Celeron on computers. That was, a, that was a name that we saw all over the front of these computers. And then eventually, you know, Intel changed it and they had their new chip, the Pentium 4. And then there was the Intel Core series. And so you kind of see these on the front of these computers. Um, Intel's kind of been sticking with the same series name for a while. They just call it Core i3, i5, i7. These are kind of their processor names. But every, you know, so many years, they have this really innovative improvement in technology. And there's there's an assumption that they may be announcing some things that um, allow for uh, desktop devices to... Um, be significantly more powerful. To expand on that a little bit further, again, more relatable, there's another type of processor which Apple is known for. They do, they do what's called an ARM processor is kind of the easy way to just call it. Um, it's 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 uh, the processor, the memory, um, the graphics card. It's kind of all in one chip. Whereas like on a desktop, these are all parts I could physically pull out and put a new one in its place. Now, the downside is that a company like us can't upgrade one piece, right? We have to upgrade the entire system on a chip is what SOC is what we call it. But these processors are insanely powerful. They're, they're not power hungry and they don't produce a lot of heat. They're incredibly efficient. That's why Apple's new MacBooks are competing with the highest end thousand dollar Intel processors, um, especially for things like rendering video and and um, and rendering audio and 3D graphics. They're incredible at that. So what I really love to see from a company like Intel is innovation in that direction because 
as those devices become more and more efficient, that's what we're going to start to see in phones. And that said, you know, the processor in these newest iPhones, they're already, you know, vastly more powerful than many desktops that exist today. So yeah, you know, I'm excited about what Intel has to offer. Um, I'm I'm eager to see if they actually innovate in the way that we hope, but I'm mostly interested in kind of that direction of reducing power consumption and increasing efficiency, because I think it would really open doors for mobile devices to be something completely different than what we view them as today. Uh, kind of like when cell phones evolved into the touchscreen thing that we have now. You touched a nerve when you were talking about uh, apartments or smaller homes or, or densely populated <laughs> yeah. areas and Wi-Fi. We right away got this email from Ron. It says, my home is only 1,250 square feet and our Wi-Fi is absolute garbage. We've had the units replaced by the internet service provider and they have no good answers for why our Wi-Fi is so bad in the back of the house. We even got an extender, put it in our hallway. It's still crap. I reboot the gateway frequently to try to get better service. Do you have any thoughts as to how I can either fix it or have them fix it? Yeah, I mean, if you, unfortunately, inconsistent wireless issues are one of the hardest things to deal with because if you can't reproduce right in front of your internet provider what the problem is, a lot of times they say, well, it's your stuff. Sorry, can't help you. Um, that's usually where a company like us comes in. We have to come in and look at what configuration you have, what devices you've got, and then we scan wireless networks nearby to identify, are you just conflicting with a neighbor? Um, we do free diagnostics too. So even remotely, a lot of times we can log into the computer we can check, get into your router from there, check to see if it's seeing competing wireless networks, and then potentially even resolve the entire thing remotely. And that diagnostic is free. So take advantage of that stuff. I, you know, this show isn't to just plug tech to you all day. I really want to talk about tech. But at the same time, I would really like people to take advantage of the things that we do for you for free. When I can't answer a question over the show, but we can, you can just call us and then we can have somebody log in and do it for you at no charge, identify what it is, just take advantage of that. Um, and then the other thing too is a kind of more common answer to that question is a lot of it's going to just depend on the age of your equipment. You know, again, a seven-year-old router could work fine still. But it's seven years old, it's lacking new technology, chances are it doesn't have any way to automatically adapt frequencies or channels with conflicting data on the, you know, on the same network or if, if uh, there's conflicting internet connections nearby or wireless signals nearby. So a lot of it does come down to just having new equipment. So when, when like the example of that maybe they're just conflicting with a neighbor, can you fix mm -hmm. that? Is that fixable? Yeah. Yeah, because every wireless network in a, in a home, for, for the most part, is going to just broadcast on one channel. And so we just identify what channels, and, and there can be, depending on the frequency, and then there's channel options, there can be over 100 channels for us to choose from. So even if you're in a densely packed apartment complex, you're really only going to have to worry about, let's say, maximum six. There's no way it's going to be more than that that are really heavy problematic conflicting wireless networks. So I got plenty of channels to choose from to reduce issues. But on top of that too, what are you sending wireless to? Are you sending it to a TV that came out in 2015 and was one of the first generation TVs to have wireless built in? And eh, chances are it's going to really struggle in those situations. Um, here's a unique one we got from uh, Ashley. The minute she heard we were going to be doing the first uh, Tech to You Tuesday, says my best friend passed away suddenly on the 9th of September. Mm. When all of us got together to check his stuff, we found his phone and realized none of us knew his passcode. We know his phone had pictures of all of us. He was, his was the phone. We used to take photos, and now we're all scouring our phones, computers, and Facebook for pictures for his funeral or to have for memories and realizing we don't have many photos of him. It would be so much easier if we could get into his phone. 
Do you know of a way to get his passcode without wiping the phone? It's an iPhone if that clarifies anything and any help would be appreciated. Generally speaking, any new version of iPhone, Apple is going to tell you straight up, we can't get into your device. You know, it's they and and they are the kind of the the best place to get access to it. There are things he could have done ahead of time, which most people don't think to do. And this is a great opportunity to highlight this possibility. In in your iPhone, there's a there's a section under um, your iCloud account where you can assign what's called a legacy contact. So in my case, for example, if I die, my wife is my legacy contact. So her account, her phone number, everything with Apple, she's known to be the person that can take over my account and get access to it. And the way that that works is that when I create a legacy contact, I'm basically making a key that's unique to unlock my account. So, so still, Apple's not unlocking my account. I did it ahead of time by creating this key that sort of unlocks it. So if this person did that, Apple will know. So they could at least contact Apple and find out, hey, did they create a legacy contact? Now, another way to do this is that every iCloud account relies on an email address. And in most cases, people use an email address like their Gmail or their Yahoo or whatever. If you know that email address, this could be your way in. So for example, if it's you know John Doe at gmail.com, contacting Google often does result in better uh, um, uh, results in getting access to an account. So let's say, for example, it's a Gmail account and you can gain access to that by resetting the password. If you can get into that account, now you can reset the password for the iCloud account. So it's kind of this you know little chain that you have to go through. But theoretically, you could get into it without wiping the phone, depending on the direction that you go. So if you know what email account was associated with that, that phone, sometimes that's the easiest target. Reset the, the uh, iCloud account password using their, their email. And then once you've got that, you can just go to iCloud.com, log in, and chances are all their photos are right there. Mm-hmm. So you probably won't even need to have the passcode for the phone. This is actually the way that most people's iCloud accounts get hacked is because they get access to your email. And then from there, they can reset passwords for basically everything. So you're basically hacking, you know, if you will, in kind of simple terms. Well, you said the magic word. Perfect. Because every time we talk, uh, I like to get into your brain a little bit about hacking and why it is it seems like there's a cyber attack every day. There's a couple of stories just from the last week or so. Clorox says that a cyber attack last month is still having what they call a wide-scale disruption to their company, and the MGM resorts are losing as much as $8.5 million a day as their computer systems remain compromised following a massive cyber attack. Uh, A few new hires are claiming their paychecks are in complete chaos. Uh, Thousands of guests at MGM resorts in Las Vegas were locked out of their hotel rooms. You and I were texting the day this started. It's still going on 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 some level. What... What what is this? We, uh, so, we don't seem to yeah, really pay attention to this stuff that much. No, yeah, I, I think. Um, I, I, so first off, with the, with the Las Vegas thing starting there uh, and MGM and what they're dealing with, um, Tech Two has an operation in Las Vegas. We're very familiar with what's been going on. It's it's you know the talk of the town as far as you know Vegas is concerned in the, in the nerd community. And uh, I have a, I have a friend who actually works for a contractor that distributes these um, these machines, these slot machines, and uh, 
I, I've got a little inside information, but the short of it is that there's there's a lot we probably won't ever know. There's um, obviously non-disclosures that that these employees have to sign. We don't want to make it easily, uh, you know, obvious on how how this breach happened. Um, so I don't know. I don't know the specifics, but I do know enough to say that this came down to a person who was manipulated. There was a person who was social engineered. And as a result, they leaked credentials to something that had access to um, vital structure of their entire system. So to kind of put that in more simple terms, or give an example, I should say, is um, let's say that you've got you know Tim Cook, CEO of Apple, and somebody social engineers him to give up a password somehow. He leaks it. Well, at Apple, they've got measures in place so that Tim can't access anything critical. He can basically access his email, maybe some files that they have stored. There'd probably be leaks of information, but by no means does he have access to create user accounts, to access server data. They are well known for protecting themselves from themselves. It's kind of like the the nuclear key. You know, you got to have more than one person turn the key at the same time to make make the bomb go off. It's that concept in um, server environments and in high security environments that is often overlooked. So even in the tech you environment, Todd, uh, one of the founders of our company, and I, you have to have at least us plus one other person I don't say publicly <laughs> who has to be able to basically turn the key at the same time to gain access to our internal systems and our servers. And, and not only that. I don't even know my passwords for any of these things. They're all 25 digits alphanumeric, and then they require multiple forms of two-factor. We've talked about that a lot, getting a text message or having a, a code generate regularly. Um, so in this case, what happened was there was a person who simply leaked um, credentials to a person who manipulated them. And from there, they gained access to code, which allowed them to make changes. Now, if they didn't have, let's say, one of two things, either A, a great backup system to re rely on that was completely separated, or this is most likely what they had, they probably had a really great backup system that was set up perfectly. But the person who had access to all their primary code also had access to the backups. Uh... So major no-no in, in the tech community. And it's one of the first things we look for whenever we go to a business and try to identify security issues is, you know, who has access to what? And is there any one point of failure? Because if there is, this is exactly what happens. And especially something like slot machines. God, imagine how many people hate Vegas and what goes on there. And <laughs> um, yeah, it's a, they're an easy target. So, you know, you get somebody who puts in their LinkedIn profile that they're the head of security for some slot machine company. Boom, you're now a target. And now we're going to learn about you online from free information. And we're going to hit you with some fake chats on Tinder and whatever it is. And then finally, you get what you need and they're in. It wasn't some master hacker. It wasn't some guy who figured out the ones and zeros exactly the right way. It was just social engineering. Wow. Rachel wrote in, she's in Sacramento, says, what are your thoughts on using a GoDaddy type of service? What is the real value? GoDaddy type of service. So I'm assuming, well, GoDaddy is a web host and web um, and web registrar. Uh, so you could like buy domains through them. I assume that's what they're talking about. Um, they're fine. We use GoDaddy to buy domains too. Um, I'm not sure if they meant that in relation to what we were talking about or just separately. But yeah, as far as GoDaddy is concerned, good company. I don't have any problems with them. Um, this one is uh, way techie for me. So uh, take it away. Tommy says, <laughs> I run a side business repairing saunas around my local area and I'm trying to drive more traffic to my site. 
but only for people looking to get their sauna repaired within a 50-mile radius to me. I've started a Google Ads campaign, and I'll see what kind of traffic that drives. But I've ran into, I've ran all my SEO scans through Wix, and everything looks great except a few things like large URLs. My ranking on SEMrush came back at like 96%, but I'm on like five I'm on like page five on organic Google searches. What can I do to fix this? I talked to someone from Wix, which is my domain, and they wanted 200 bucks to get back links and optimize a few things that I did myself. Mm. My line of work is very niche, and most of the work is word of mouth, and I can't justify three to $500 to get my site on the first page of Google just to add one or two clients a month. I didn't get most of that. Take it away. <laughs> Yeah. So SEO, first first keyword there, search engine optimization. Basically what this person is looking for is is more traffic to their to their business online. Um so first off, tech to you, computer repair company. We do websites. Um, one thing I'll tell you right out of the gate is we're not specialists in SEO. There's entire companies that focus on just that thing. That said, I know enough to give you some advice. Um, I got a brief chance to look at that email before before we started today. And um, the website looks good. I didn't see any major issues with it. Uh, he's right that um, quality of the site looks looks you know fine. It's probably ranking well on um, SEM Rush is uh, is an application that you can kind of use to scan your site and see how it's looking and and content that goes to the site. Um, the one thing that I noticed very briefly with a quick look is content is king on the internet, especially with Google. Um, one thing a lot of people don't think about is how does Google rank their results? Um, like what's their what's their reasoning? So if I'm looking for let's say I Google computer repair Sacramento. What does that mean? Does that mean that I'm looking to have a computer repaired in the city of Sacramento, or am I looking to learn about computer repair in Sacramento? So a human would know right away, well, I'm probably looking for a service. Google kind of leans that way, but they don't know what you're looking for, especially when you do that, like, I know how to Google type search, where you just type in a few words. And so you get the best results that Google thinks you're looking for. What somebody could be looking for is I want to learn about the various computer repair companies in their history in the city of Sacramento. And they didn't say that. So a company like tech to I don't remember exactly how many we have, but we've got something like 300 pages on our website. We need like one. You could go there and there's a phone number and it tells you what we do and what we charge, right? Real simple. The reason that there's hundreds of pages is because if somebody Googles something like hard drive repair in Rockland, California... I have an entire page dedicated to just that because it brings me up in listings. If somebody searches that exact thing, I already have a result. So an advice, a, a tip to you is add more pages to your site that are about specific things. If I'm searching to repair a sauna, I'm probably not searching sauna repair necessarily. A lot of times I've already done a little research and I figured out that it's the control board or it's a power issue. And so I'm going to say, power supply repair on sauna in Sacramento, something like that. These, these are the kinds of things that people will search for. So focus on content that's unique to your industry and add pages for those that, that piece of content. The other thing that, that was mentioned was backlinks. Backlinks are great. That basically means a, a website from a reputable source is linking to your website. So imagine that like apple.com said, if you want your iPhones fixed, go to tech to you. And they listed tech to you.com on their site. That's a lot of juice, if you will, for us. That's really great backlink juice. But the best 
our schools.edu domains. So if you could set up something like a discount with local nearby colleges and they list your URL on their website, that's great backlink juice. And it's also good ways to get customers. I don't know about sauna repair, but computer repair is obviously very applicable. So if you can get onto .edu domains, a lot of time that's personal communication with businesses or, or schools. Um, but that's that's another way to get some juice to the site. So a hot button issue we're talking tech with most people is privacy. Uh, I kind of mm -hmm. live in a world where where I just assume there isn't any anymore, um, which I don't know how <laughs> cynical that is. Um, but but I'm always amazed at how people they react with like what, and then they just go about their lives, um, and and they like don't change any habits. So I'm not sure what they're getting so freaked out about. We had a, we had a couple things over the last few weeks. Research shows that everyday devices like smart speakers, doorbell cameras, TVs, washing machines are basically spying on families. Uh, capturing and sharing private information with big tech firms such as Google, Amazon, Facebook, and TikTok. And then they, of course, use it for advertising, things like that. For me, that's like a duh, but I know a lot of people don't necessarily think about that. Every single smart camera and doorbell brand used tracking services from Google or Amazon, according to the report. Tracking functions are automatically activated by default. Customers can opt out. Most of us don't. Because mm -hmm. it requires changing the settings uh, on the device or the app, and then it can no longer work and things like that. And then it, they can, and then there's the accept all thing, right? Where we just go, yeah, 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 I, I don't have time to read all of this. And then there's this story that came out last week, which for like 14 minutes got attention. And then everybody just goes back to their lives that a review of 25 car brands and 15 car companies. Researchers found that, like Nissan, for example, was singled out. They sell information about drivers and passengers' sexual activity, their intelligence, their health diagnosis to data brokers, law enforcement agencies, and other companies. Volkswagen says it has the ability to record drivers' voices to profile them for targeted ads. I mean, when you go through this whole thing, it's like none of us are thinking about this. They're gathering this information, keeping it, selling it, spreading it around. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you can do anything to get out of this, but we all get all we light our hair on fire. Those of us that that have any, and then yeah. we just get back in our car and we talk about our favorite sex position or something. <laughs> is this is this a big deal? A real deal? Is this just the world we live in? It is something to be hyper aware of, and it takes uh, it takes those those few nerds that are identifying these things and whistleblowing to call attention to things that are not morally okay. And uh, I'll give you a good example. Um, Tesla is probably the best example of an automaker that is a computer on wheels. And I mean, that's really how even Elon would often describe their their industry. Um, there's a camera that's inside the cabin of my car, and it's the only camera of all of my cameras that I actually cover. Now, there's two reasons for that. Um, one of them is in the event of an accident, whatever was happening inside of your car can be recorded and can be used to help you. But it could be used <laughs> to hurt me too. Um, the other thing is that um, that that there's a feature where it can kind of self-identify what you're doing. So like if you turn on autopilot and it doesn't think that you're paying attention, it'll like auto disengage it. And it's just annoying. Um, and so there, there are technologies that um, I wouldn't necessarily say that's intrusive. But it's not really smart enough to understand how to operate well, so I don't really care for it. I just cover up the camera, and then it ignores it. Um, that said, companies like what Nissan was caught with are pretty bad because you're right. That was in the accept all. That was inside of the hundreds of pages of, of terms and conditions. And um, there's been suggestions of legislation that I'm, I'm very in favor of, which is – 
Imagine that terms and conditions were were actually something that you could read briefly and fully understand the implications. And it's not complicated. Put a couple bullet points for me of the things that I care about. And that that would be something that I would really like to see. I would hate to see that people would still hit accept all. Um, but there's a lot of terms and conditions that we agree to blindly that do allow these companies to do what they're doing. Um, and then, yeah, uh, another one is insurance, uh, auto insurance. So if your city is filled with drivers who often speed or whatever, um, take turns too hard, you know, there's G-force sensors in these cars now too. Anything that you're doing, you brake too hard, speed too much, whatever it is, um, it, that data can get sent back to any auto manufacturer and then in mass is analyzed to determine things like insurance rates. So if you've got a bunch of bad drivers in your city and you're a good one, all of those bad drivers whose data has been analyzed is going to affect your, affect your insurance rates. It's one of the reasons why states like California California have major auto insurance providers pulling out of our state is because of the data that they're now getting well, that and claims of how bad of drivers are in this state. So, <laughs> um, you know, that's kind of one of the things that there, there's give and take there. It's good to know that, well, okay, we can, we can target out these bad drivers that are affecting the rest of us. But at the same time, that's kind of invasion of privacy. Do you think about like, like if you're at a friend's house, like, do you think about what you're saying specifically towards like, I don't know what devices this guy has in his house sort of thing. No, no, I don't. And the reason I don't is I'm aware enough of what these devices do and how they operate to, um, to know where that, that data goes. So, so Amazon, Google, and, and Apple kind of our big three of, of electronic makers of smart home speakers that are literally always listening. And all three have actual humans regularly analyzing data to see if when I said, you know, Hey, keyword, uh, add this to my grocery list. Um, did I actually say what it thought I said and did it work correctly? And it's good that they have people analyzing these things. And Apple is very transparent on how they do that. There's no link to your account. The person who's listening it to, they don't know who of the many millions of people this is that's saying this. I don't have a problem with that personally, because there's just no link to you and your account. Um, Google has a little bit more of a link to your account that can be a little sketchy at times, but not enough that I'm worried about it. And and I hate to be this guy, but I I really I just don't say anything that would put me in a position to feel uncomfortable if it was ever said out loud. Now that's not a great argument, and I get that. But there's even if I was, these recordings are often anonymized or anonymous to the company. So you know, especially Apple. Um, Amazon and Google, I can't say as much positive things for as far as the way that they track user data to the user, to the person and not anonymize it. This is part of the reason why I'm a kind of an Apple fanboy is one thing they do really, really well is, is, is privacy. Their, their privacy functions and the way that they set up uh, data collection is um, hands down the best in the industry. Back to the emails. We got this last night from Ramiro. Says, I wanted to welcome Ian and uh, thank Rob for giving him the opportunity. Sounds like Ian really enjoys doing this. I was wondering, what can I do to get a job with you guys in tech to you or your type <laughs> of work? Meaning, what type of certification or schooling do I need? And do I even need to go to a school? My current job makes me deal with about 45 to 50% customer service. I'm usually dealing with Rob's mom type, random shot. You know, the old lady or, or old gentleman who forget their Apple ID and are afraid of a smartphone. My company doesn't let me, but I usually end up helping the old lady find an email that she put on her trash folder for uh, an example. But that's a, that's a good broad oh. question anyways. Yeah, a couple things there. Shout out Rob's mom is a little low. Jerry is like one of the <laughs> sweetest ladies on the planet. Uh, we love helping her. Um, 
and she's actually very good. Uh, she asks us questions that, that make perfect sense. Um, but also, uh, oh, thanks for the congratulations, by the way. I appreciate it. And I do really enjoy it. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm, I'm looking forward to what you guys all get to see in the coming couple of weeks because, you know, today is interview day. What I'm setting up uh, is going to be a lot of fun. Um, to his question, uh, what can you do? Um, yeah, you don't need to go to school. Not, not for an entry-level position um, doing computer repair. We have um, on the surface people that come to your home and 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 to uh you can people bring computers into our shops uh we've got remote support technicians so we've got these three different roles um and for the most part a lot of those guys don't have official schooling for that their their passion is this industry so we we break things on purpose we we learn f- from from our own de- you know our own devices and and how to um, fix things. Most of us are gamers. And, and a lot of that comes from gaming on a budget, you know, I want to upgrade my computer, but I don't want to pay a computer repair company to do it. So I'm going to learn. And in that process of learning, you know, you, you, you pick up stuff just in fact, in this, just the last 24 hours, I was pleading to Brandon last night, please help me with my lack of understanding on audio. You know, I'm not an audio engineer. It's not my, my specialty. And, um, thankfully he was gracious enough to take a call from me last night. So we could talk a little bit about a a very minor problem, but basically my audio was not as good as what you guys had at the studio and it was killing me. And, uh, he knew immediately what it was and had great advice, but that is from his passion. He, he didn't have to have some teacher tell him, this is the type of device that you need. He didn't have Bob, the engineer sit down with him for hours and train him on how these things work. This is his own research, him learning these things, trial and error. That is the best technicians we've ever hired. The people who like this stuff and learn on their own. Um, And how do you get a job? Just apply. And one thing I'd always tell people is write a cover letter. If you write a cover letter, you stand out so much. And that's any job, whether it's us or anybody Tell the company why you want to work for them. It means a ton. So um, if you're if you're uh, just wanting to apply directly to, you can email jobs at tech2u.com. I'm going to try to read this uh, email somewhat intelligently. It's from Dimitri. He says, I have 100 to 150 IP-related devices on my network. Google Home says 113 now, and about 10 are offline. These are smart lights, garage, vacuums, lawnmower, computer, lawnmower, wow, computers, consoles, various <laughs> amount of tech toys, gadgets that drive my wife nuts, etc. I have Google Home in my house, which is about 2,500 square feet. I know it's overkill, but I have four of them etherneted. So I can use okay. hubs for my smart TVs and arcades. I have a mini arcade in my basement. Uh, my question, Google claims about 75 to 100 devices they support. And before I make the switch to another mesh style, I wanted your mm. thoughts to an easy mesh. Networking and routing is my tech kryptonite, subnetting, all that crap I despise. Setup that would support probably 200-ish devices. It's approaching okay. Christmas when I have a bunch of smart plugs to turn on and off lights. I have no devices that support Wi-Fi 6, but I still have a lot of 2.4 G I, the gigs devices, gigahertz, yeah. uh, water leak detectors, lights with the outside porch, et cetera. Do you think Google Home can support everything? So far, so good. Then he gives you some technical stuff that is Ethernet's one gigabyte, 250 Mbps, whatever the hell that is. And he's had no real issues. The thing I, I really like about this question is as nerdy as it is, And as complicated of a network as this guy has in his house compared to most, this is the future that we will all be living in. There's no person watching this stream who isn't going to at some point be living that lifestyle with tons of smart devices in your house, 
the nice thing is that as technology improves, you won't even really be thinking about the things he's thinking about. What router do I need? How do I handle IP address conflicts? You're not going to be thinking about those things. But the future of things that we put in our home is going in the direction that this guy has without question. Major manufacturers of appliances and even light switches are all making smart devices that connect to Wi-Fi. His home network sounds a lot like mine. Um, I, I have less than he does. He's got a little bit bigger of a house as far as uh, broadcasting for Wi-Fi too. Um, I think I have around 90 devices on my network. And it's kind of the same thing. It's it's vacuums, it's washer, dryer, fridge, cameras, all kinds of stuff. If you have a, a basic consumer device, and again, this applies to anybody who's going to continue to have a life in the next <laughs> 10 years, you're going to be dealing with this stuff. There is every wireless router or just router is going to be limited in its ability to have so many clients on it. You know, you think back, 15 years ago, and you had a router in your house. Well, that was to get your two computers on the internet. And that's really kind of how they've been designed for a very long time, decades. And now we're finally getting to a point where guys like this need significantly more capable devices to handle the amount of, we'll call it throughput on his network. So kind of that bandwidth, this amount of space of communication that can happen at one time. To answer his question directly, I'd highly advise you leave the Google Mesh system. You should be looking at something like a unified dream machine, um, probably a unified dream machine pro. It's a rack mount router. You don't have to rack mount it. You don't have to have a server, but it supports if memory serves up to 500 clients at a time, um, which is really what you need. You want some bandwidth there, especially if you're getting in that 200 range. You should also be looking at Unify access points. The U6 Pros specifically, amazing device. They broadcast three different types of wireless signal. You can have three different SSIDs. Those are the names of your network running at the same time. So in my house, for example, I've got three wireless networks. One is for smart home devices I don't trust. They're from Chinese companies. <laughs> They're from uh, knockoff brands. They're for testing. And that is what's called an isolated network. So if anybody ever managed to breach one of those devices, which isn't hard in some cases, they can't access the rest of my network. This is another thing that will be common as time goes on, but there'll be an easy way to do it. Another network is my primary network. That's where I have my computers and my server and um, you know the digital technology that I use on a day-to-day -day basis. And then I have a, a, another network that's kind of like a, a, a dump network for other IoT devices that I can communicate with. Uh, Internet of Things, IoT, those are your smart home devices, IoT devices. Um, anyway, to answer the, the guy's question, Unify. Um, e and email me directly. If you want some advice on that, I'm more than happy to tell you. Ian at techu.com. Um, I love doing setups like that. For the rest of the audience too, I don't think that we're going to see people with what I'm suggesting in, in their homes, these server style routers that you would have in almost commercial environments or like homes like his. I don't think that's the future. I think the future is you're going to have this all-in-one device that's provided by your internet provider, which is significantly more capable than the ones that we have today. We're just not there yet. The, you know, it doesn't make sense. These things cost hundreds of dollars to manufacture. You know, uh, Comcast and AT&T and whoever, they're not going to give them to you for free. So as time goes on, they're going to become cheaper. They're going to become easier to connect a bunch of devices to. And then Rob, when you have 50 light switches in your house that all need to be connected to Wi-Fi because that's the new thing, they're just going to work. We're a little ways away from that, but that is going to happen. Would you imagine that most of us that are just, that we're trying to live a modern life, but we're not 
into the tech side of it like you are, we would be shocked at how many devices right now we have that are connected. Because when you start clicking yeah. them off, I'm like, well, wait a minute. I, I've got security cameras, our garage doors, our, our thermostat. And I'm starting to wonder, God, we have dozens probably of devices at our house that are that are connected to the Wi-Fi, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's, I, one of the things I love about the tech industry is it goes in these waves where there's people like, oh, God, nobody's going to need computer repair anymore. <laughs> and it's like, well, yeah, maybe I'm not fixing laptops as much as I was in the same way 10 years ago. But look at what we're dealing with. These these new devices that are coming up, um, you know, they're, they're, they're complicated and there's many of them. And so you're a great example. Now, I believe if, again, your, your home network is pretty solid, but it, there are a lot of people who aren't set up in that way where you can add like, oh, you know, I want to get a Roomba. And I want to connect the little smart vacuum to the Wi-Fi. And, uh, and then when it's done, it'll send me pictures of the things that thought were interference, like a cable on the ground or whatever. But it doesn't work most of the time. And half the time, it's trying to connect in certain parts of the house, and it doesn't work. And it's that I don't know this stuff that really makes people throw up their hands and not want to deal with it. And um, A, that's where people like us come in. But B, this will get easier. And I really highly recommend fight through the frustration just a little bit because that little bit you can learn, just like I was talking about with audio, can go so far in applying to everything else that you have. And you know, right now, if you go to a big box store and you buy a washer and dryer, if you spend, let's say, a thousand bucks or more on the combo, they probably have Wi-Fi built in. I get notifications on my phone. The dryer's done. I love that. <laughs> I'm sitting on the couch watching TV and I get it on my TV as well. Your dryer's done. I hate it when I have the load is all wrinkled, right? So right. these little modern conveniences are things I, I encourage people to um, get used to. They're they're very helpful. By the way, what, what is mesh? What, what is that? Ah, yeah. <clears throat> mesh is basically just a way of saying that all of his wireless devices can communicate with one another. Um, I don't necessarily, I'm not a huge fan of mesh meshing specifically. Google does a good job of it. Um, but he mentioned that he had Ethernet running through the house, I think is kind of what he's implying there. And if that's the case, he should just be using access points, which basically all rebroadcast the same signal and they can smart transfer your devices. So if you're on your uh, cell phone on Wi-Fi and you're downstairs and you go upstairs, your devices will auto switch to whatever has the best signal. So that that's really what I would recommend for him. It doesn't sound like this guy is really living on a budget. So what I've suggested to him <laughs> is something that's probably like a thousand dollar solution. I realize it's expensive, but I have a feeling if he's got a hundred plus Wi-Fi devices in a 2,500 square foot home, he could probably benefit from this particular setup. So I don't know about you, but but in my world, like a week from today is is forever from now. But do you, <laughs> a week from today is the official kickoff of Tech GU Tuesdays where you're manning the ship. Do you have any idea what you'll be covering uh, next Tuesday? One of the things I'm working on is recurring stuff. I could take a cue from you, you know, um, the like jokes from the maggots, for example, is a, is a great way to say, well, these are things I know people love. And so I'm going to be able to use them regularly. So there are going to be some things that I have that are already sort of built out and I could even build them out for like the next month. Um, but yeah, a lot of this is going to be, there might be something that happens on Tuesday morning next week mm. that changes and derails my entire show. <laughs> um, so I'm going to try my best to stay up to date with whatever is in the news. That's going to be a huge part of it. Um, but I also really want to help people with technical questions. And, and, and chances are, if you have a question about something technology related, you're applying to the majority of the audience. 
And and you can email anytime, red at radradio.com, and Ian will get them. Uh, he'll see them. We'll forward them to him. He has access to them. Uh, and, uh, I mean, right away, as soon as we started talking about that, fresh emails start coming in because people go, oh, yeah, I got that. I got this question. I got... Now, just to be clear, did you want people to send you tech jokes? For uh, <laughs> I'm not gonna do it. I'm not gonna do a joke for tech jokes from the maggot segment. No. All right, cool. <laughs> um, so it'll be every Tuesday at 10 a.m. and it'll be it'll run about an hour. Um, yeah. and uh, and and we were talking uh, earlier uh, all the way through the end of the year. Like you're you're planning on doing this even like when the rad shows on holiday vacation time, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There and and depending on the you know the days of the week and how it lines up as we get closer to Christmas and stuff like that, there could be variation. But for the most part, yeah, I want to keep this going even when you guys are off the air. Outstanding. Well, thank you so much for doing this, Ian. We really do look forward to uh, Tech to You Tuesdays, and, and Brandon and I are so excited about what you've got planned and the visuals and the graphics and everything else. So thanks for being here, man. Uh, of course. Can't we'll, wait for everybody to see yeah, it. Yeah, us too. We'll all see you uh, next Tuesday, 10 a.m. Yep. Uh, right here on Rad TV for Tech to You Tuesday. <laughs> Rob. See you anybody. Then. And Dawn. The Rob, anybody, and Dawn Show.